so I everybody. Jump. Yeah. Huh? Good to see everybody. Yeah. You. Yeah. Right. It's been a while. Do an official welcome for the podcast. Um, this is Sound Engagement. Thank you for joining us, uh, Peter mm-hmm. and Brad. We have not been on for a few months, but um, I think it started off. I was on vacation, and then I had um, uh, came back and and had some family matters to tend to. Uh, my mom died and uh, that's been something that we're still working through and mm-hmm. preparing the memorial service actually mm-hmm. um, in a few weeks. But uh, it's been something that we've been talking about throughout the, the last few months of getting back together and doing something. Mm-hmm. And we really didn't have a topic in mind. We kept thinking, mm. uh, we kept going back and forth on what we would do. So yeah. I think we're maybe getting a little burned out on the book review of cynical theories we may still finish that up but yeah i think we have some other other stuff that we could talk about as well so yeah and um no and you and i were my my condolences again about your mom and it was good talking to you right before we got on the show so yeah and and honestly we could spend i mean this has been something a lot of people are asking about it's not it's not a it wasn't a surprise our family Mm. was preparing for it we knew we knew she was um you know, her liver was bad and, and then her kidneys failed uh, just, a, you know, maybe a, about a month prior to her dying. So mm-hmm. once that happened, it was really hard to um, for her body to, to keep up. And she was getting dialysis at the end, but um, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't providing a, a better quality to her life. So mm-hmm. uh, it was it was hard, obviously very emotional and I'm up and down with it on everything triggers reminders of my mom and, you know, uh, mm. you know, let's talk to my sister and just about every time I talk to her, we're both crying about it. Um, mm. and I know we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about not cutting that grieving process short or not pushing those feelings away and, you know, actually mm-hmm. working through it and, and, um, honestly dealing with it. You know, I, I think that's, that's something I'm trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I, I thank you for your, your comments and your prayers. I know others yeah. have, said, have yeah. said a lot and it's, it's hard to know what to say or do, but, um, mm. but we're, we're, we're doing well. Mm-hmm. I did have some really good encouraging conversations, uh, and, uh, with her in the hospital right before, um, she died and they were brief, obviously COVID guidelines restricted us from being in there very long until she went into hospice care. But mm. she was only in hospice for uh, basically like thirty hours, and and most of that she was asleep, uh, not not conscious. So mm. that was uh, that's rough. I mean, that was good in the sense that we knew she was comfortable, but yeah. it was hard. You know, we couldn't couldn't really have a conversation, or mm-hmm. she couldn't acknowledge that she was listening or anything like that. Mm. Well. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's hard losing a parent. It really is in, in any phase of life, that's for sure. As we just miss them. And yeah, so our, yeah, our hearts and prayers really go out for you. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, well, do we want to go ahead and open up with a little... <laughs> yeah. Snippet of what we're doing today? Sure. Yeah, let's... let's uh, yeah, because what, what... Absolutely. So what we're... Um, talking about we did have a video <laughs> if you want to play yeah. we don't have to necessarily I mean, play it right now so this is uh how does this how does this yeah let me, let me see if this will work ready okay yes 
I know my face is like there. There we go. To let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go It's always tease, tease, tease you're happy when I'm on my knees One day it's fine, the next it's black So if you want me off your back Well come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Alright, yeah. Like we had to get to the chorus yeah. at least yeah. Should I stay or should I go? <laughs> Yeah, right. Good. Maybe we should name our podcast that. Yeah, I was just I thinking about that. Good. Maybe we should, should from we... now on. Instead of sound engagement, we could just do should I say should I go? I like I that. We can start the introduction every single time. Um so yeah. yeah. And um, so let's maybe talk a little bit about why we decided to talk about that because I saw one of your one of the summaries of your sermons. I don't know if you wanted to jump right into reading that little section. And you're in California, I'm in Massachusetts. A lot of our audience is all throughout the nation and so the question is should we stay or should we go and we're both convinced that we should stay and um we're going to talk a little bit about our reasons why but also maybe the reasons why it's tempting to leave yeah and, um yeah i didn't know if you wanted to so let's just yeah well i can i can definitely let me pull up the that probably would be the easiest thing to just reread that section um and then we can break it apart or talk about it or just go from there to whatever. But, um, the, you know, it, I, I'm trying to, I was trying to balance the, the dangers of turning your pulpit into a political platform, right. To make it something that it, it's not, it's not intended to be where your sermon becomes all about politics. Um, I don't like that. And, and so you have to be careful, but politics certainly plays a role in the way we think about, you know, where we live and, and where we do ministry and how, how we do ministry in that community. So um, it's not unrelated and it's not that we, we must never talk about anything political or how we vote or propositions. I, I'm, I'm not of the opinion that it's just like never to be mentioned from the pulpit. So anyways, that's sort of my justification for making these comments in, in a sermon, um, whether or not you like them or agree with them, uh, will be for you to determine, but let me share the tab. Uh, this is just from our website. I have the, um, I have this on, uh, you know, Facebook, I, I took this section off and I edited a little bit on Facebook, but for the most part, it's, it's the same thing that I had there. And, um, this, this gets rid of a lot of the distractions that are on Facebook. So, so here's what I said. I said, one thing I hear, and by the way, this is coming from a, you know, passage, Nehemiah chapter two, verses nine through 20. It's dealing with the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. So, the very first point is that as soon as Nehemiah arrives in 
Jerusalem, he there's an acknowledgement that he has governors who are opposed to him. <laughs> and so the expectation to face opposition is the point that I'm making in this section, right? That even as he arrives, he's obeying God's call upon his life to go to Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, to lead this really revival and restoration of the covenant community. And, and the first thing he finds out is that there's opposition. The thing is, he anticipated it. He actually asked for letters from the king, from, from the Persian king Artaxerxes, for whom he was the cupbearer. And he gets those, that, those letters. And so he's going with permission from the king so he can show these local governors that he's authorized to be there and to do this work. Um, and so this is what I said. One thing I hear more and more is that California is a lost cause. There's no hope of recovering the ground that has been lost to liberalism. I wonder if that's what the people in Jerusalem thought. The city walls had crumbled and remained in heaps. The king had called for a cease to the rebuilding. You can find that in Ezra chapter four. And so I said, what asked, was there any reason to stay in such a vulnerable region? Maybe they should flee to a safer location with less opposition and lower taxes. Okay, let's be honest. California is no Jerusalem and conservatives have no claim to the state as Israel had to the promised land, but the same God is sovereign over both areas. Some see opposition as justification to leave, seek more peaceful, greener pastures. Others see opposition as an opportunity to resist. Fighting for what is good and right, which is the mission of the church, will always face opposition. There truly is no escaping the chaos. And we looked at Daniel 7 in a few sermons prior, so I, I uh, was reviewing or reminding them of that sermon. And in that sermon, these beasts are rising up out of the sea, one after the other. And the sea, not only there in Daniel 7, but among ancient Near Eastern literature, is a representation of chaos and evil. In fact, they're sort of like the sea is always opposed to the gods of the land and and so you have a similar thing happening here in, in Daniel 7, where evil and chaos is, is rising up out of the sea. And so I, I just was, was pointing out that it's not as if only the coastlands of the sea, uh, I mean, only the coastlands are affected by the flooding of the sea, right? We have to admit that if it's metaphor for chaos and evil, then the sea isn't contained on the coastlands. It's flooded every region of this globe. And so resistance is literally met everywhere the church resides. So here's my point. If Israel couldn't avoid opposition, even in the promised land, why do we think we will ever escape opposition? And the unfortunate reality is that discouraging challenges often arise shortly after moving forward in obedience, just as Nehemiah faced. Hey, we can expect trouble and opposition to come in many forms and to various degrees, especially when seeking to accomplish the will of the Lord. The problem is not the opposition we face, but our readiness to face the opposition. One commentator, T.J. Betts, says, When the people of God rise up to do the work of God, it will infuriate the enemies of God. Nehemiah knows this truth, and it's for this reason he acquires the king's help. As Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And there's always anticipation of that opposition. So then I just had this practical application. We can pray and work together to restore and rebuild locally. 
We can trust God to provide and protect for his people, even those living in the heart of the enemy's camp. We can look out and think we're outnumbered, and that's oftentimes the case physically. But God has a spiritual army that is always superior to the earthly forces aligned against him. You can see in 2 Kings chapter 6, 16 through 19, where Elisha uh, calls upon the Lord to reveal the vastly superior uh, angelic army that was defending them against the physical armies that they could see clearly outnumbered them. So God prepares a table in the presence of your enemies. As we read in Psalm 23, verse five, I love that image. It's not just that God is going to protect you, but he's actually providing, you're so stable in the presence of God that he can, he can set your dinner table in front of your enemies, in front of the, like right within eyesight. And you can enjoy a meal with your family in that in that instance right in that setting that that context and so you have absolutely nothing and no one to fear i concluded people with the fight of nehemiah are in short supply today carrying out your mission knowing the difficulties you will face is never easy trusting the lord to provide when it seems utterly hopeless might look foolish but we serve a god who holds the hearts of kings in the palm of his hand and he can change a ruthless character into a compassionate servant as he did with King Artaxerxes. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Wow. Maybe it's almost a call for why are people in, why aren't people in these, in these places? So, you know, yeah. 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 I mean, there's a, there's a, I love that. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. I think it's encouraging. It it was just very, very encouraging because I'm also in a place where it just seems like, you know, it's very difficult to find, so maybe we should talk about like maybe we should talk about opposition. What does opposition look like for us, and and how does how is it different? Do you feel like it is in I don't know in Texas? Well, <laughs> Texas might has its own oppositions right now as well. So you know, yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, maybe in a place like I don't know, uh, country town in South Carolina, or maybe like northern Mississippi, or you know, you and I lived in Jackson for five years. You know, so. Um, yeah. So what would you say opposition looks like for you and, and how is that contrasted with maybe somebody that's in a different part of the country that's not quite facing it? And we we both under under this, we, we both assume we have the assumption that any bear, anyone listening to this, if you're in wherever in those parts, we're not saying that there's not opposition that you're facing. We're not saying that, right, but right. it's more, you know, maybe how is it different? But also what kind of opposition would you say you, you receive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing an echo when I speak. So I think you probably without your headphones, it might be doing that unless you're muted. Um, so just so you know, when I'm when you're muted, I don't hear myself. But as soon as you unmute your mic, I can hear myself speaking <laughs> about oh, two seconds okay. after. Uh, half a second after that. Yeah, unfortunately my headphones are broken, so I'll have to get new headphones, but we'll we'll bear through it during this podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> We'll manage to make it work. But anyways, yeah. One, so the first thing I, I want to just acknowledge is that it's it's not as if there's a one-size-fits-all approach to ministry. I, I don't like it when people, you know, pit this urban versus suburban ministry, you know, as if like really if you want to truly reach the loss, you got to get into an urban context. That's the only way to ever have an impact is if you're going into the cities. I think that's flawed and, um, and just – inaccurate. I mean, not everyone is called to, to the same task. Um, you don't always have to be the missionary going to, to unreached people groups. 
Uh, in a lot of ways, now we have people, the unreached people groups in our own backyard, right? We, we can just go meet our neighbor and introduce ourselves and say hi and, you know, have opportunities to reach the nations that way. It's a very real possibility, in, at least in California, it is. And, um, and I would say not everyone is called to be in a hostile environment. Not everyone's called to live in a place that's going to be hostile to their values and their, their moral um, paradigm. So, I, you know, their worldview. I think you have to be aware of that. Um, and that's so I'm not suggesting that by saying that everyone should be doing what I'm doing. Right. I mean, I, but here's the thing. If if I'm called to this region, if I'm called to California and, and I believe God has called me here to plant this church. Um, and if then, then I've got to be able to rally up people to be a part of that, to, to join the team as it were. And that's what Nehemiah ends up doing in chapter two. At the end of it, he, he gathers people from the rich to the poor, from the highest, you know, the loftiest people, the people in, in, uh, leadership positions all the way down to those who were, you know, uh, who were barely surviving. And he gathers them together for this task, which which was a massive project, right? They were going to have to take time away from work, take time away from family uh, in order to complete the work. And he calls them to make that sacrifice because he's convinced that it's the Lord's will for him. And and so I it, I need to be able to do that passionately, and to call people to stay and to not leave, to not flee. Um, but I, I guess what I'm, what I don't want to give the impression of is that, in saying that anyone who is fleeing or going to a different direction, that they're, uh, that they, that they have no direction either, or that they're not following, you know, some right. some, yeah. something that yeah. God has for them. Did you want to? Oh, no. And I think I, th I think, yeah. I, and but um, what would you say? Like, I mean, because I, I think we could maybe both interview one another here. I mean, what would you say right, is right. like for you? What if um, what is your what would you say is the opposition for you, you know, um, that you see facing? Yeah. Um, I mean, within the church, I just don't think you have uh, it, it's not an environment where the average citizen is going to church, right? You don't, you have a lot of people not attending and it, I would say there is a liberalizing of the, of the nation, um, and not, and not in a classically liberal sense, but in a sense of like, uh, everything is, is, you know, moving to the left. You've got, um, you know, uh, politics to the left. You've got within the church context, you have people uh, becoming less committed to uh, like a, a view of scripture that is, that is conservative, that has a high view of, of the authority of scripture. It's sort of a compromising of the word of God in order to allow various interpretations, um, especially when it comes to, for instance, the LGBTQ agenda. Um, so you're going to find opposition like that. Uh, we have opposition in our own community, right? There's, there's someone who, who doesn't like us, who cusses at us as we're, as we're coming into the church. Uh, she's sort of like a one person protest. Um, 
And in fact, she's assaulted my wife uh, at during a church service one time when uh, right before the church service began, she came in to, and threw glass in our entryway. And it's just really bizarre. bizarre. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's she's not um, she's not all there mentally. So that, I'm not saying that this is common um, among the people in our context, but but we are in a an environment that's not that's not hospitable to the church, right? The the the, the, average, the average neighbor neighbors. isn't you know attending the church. They're not coming and 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 excited that we're there. They're just sort of indifferent about our existence. And so I would say the opposition that we face is just a sort of a, you know, it's, it's turning in, it's turning from indifference into an active strategy to, to manipulate or affect the, the impact that the church can have. And in that sense, you know, I would say the COVID guidelines, stuff like that, that we faced through our governor Newsom, you know, I would say targeting, I don't, not targeting, but he, he definitely had guidelines that he was, he was changing those guidelines for Black Lives Matter riots and rallies that were vastly different than his guidelines for the church. And he's telling the church, you can't protest, you, or you can't, um, you can't take the Lord's Supper. You can't congregate. But of course, yeah. you can't right. congregate. You can't even right. sing if you get together. You just need to sit six feet apart with masks on and not talk. And um, and I, I think some of that obviously had an impact. There was there was a uh, compromise about what you want to do as a church community and what you're called to do, in fact, to worship God. Um, I think so. A lot of churches push back against that, but that is there was the threat that you could maybe lose your tax exemption if you if you really fought hard against it. And you know, I mean, those that kind of opposition is becoming increasingly um increasingly obvious it used to be subtle now it's just mm. obvious right mm. um i i could think of more but uh, you know i want to give yeah. you some time to yeah give your thoughts yeah no I'm, I'm i'm i mean i don't think the covid um regulations were as strict here i mean we have a republican governor thankfully and you know i i feel even right now now that a lot of people are vaccinated it's it's um it's actually probably more we have more freedoms right now than we do even like a place like North Carolina. I, I'm, I, um, you know, uh, mainly because we have such a large population that's been vaccinated. That's a justification that we often hear, but I mean, I, I think the biggest struggle I'm right there with you. I mean, there's just not really, there is no Christian culture here, which is, I think that's why we were called. I mean, cause you and I probably had the same kind of, angst or angst or whatever you know when we're in mississippi just being in such a christian culture that the difference between here and maybe a place like that you you, you most people don't know their bible for example they might have a little bit of a catholic upbringing up here because it's old school catholic but i would just say that the opposition is um i, I would say here it's very academic i mean it's it's very subtle uh you know i mean god is more of like a theological idea more so mm -hmm. than a personal faith, um, you know, so it's, it, it's a very individualistic culture in Massachusetts. That's how I would say that's how it's different from a place like California. I would say it's not so in your face, I guess. You know, I mean, I've been to mm -hmm. LA. I've been, it's much more um, ostentatious, if that's the right word. <laughs> it's uh, grand, you know, so um, 
Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I think the it's uh, I I would say what one of the cool things about I should, if we could start talking about the good thing. What's nice about living here is I feel like um, I'm seeing things that a lot of my other friends in certain parts of the country just have not seen and they will see in a few months or a few years. And right. give an example of that. I mean, I have a friend who just texted me and said, oh, my gosh, Peter, you're right. And not that I'm looking to be right, but he was like, well, what are you talking about? He was like, I did not know that um, he's a teacher that um, – LGBT, you know, uh, trans issues has gotten so bad and so divisive and he's in like mm. Florida or something like that. And I was talking to him about it. And I was like, look, man, you, you better be aware of this. This is going to get really, really, really bad. And one of the unfortunate things about living in Massachusetts is that I saw it get really bad about three years ago. And that's, what's kind of nice about it. I'm wondering if that's California a little bit as well. So the reason why I think we need Christians up here is because I, I think when you, it's like you're at the ports and there's a mm -hmm. lot of, at least in Massachusetts, there's a huge amount of academic progress that's going on in Boston and in Cambridge and Harvard and everything else that you just hear about. And then that kind of trickles down to the rest of the country. Critical race theory was, was you know, Derek Bell um, was, I forgot where he taught, but I know it was an Ivy League school. Ibram Kendi is up here who we often talk about. He's right there at Boston College. Or excuse me, Boston BU, Boston University. So it's 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 nice to to I don't know. I say nice is the right word, but it's informative, I guess, because it makes you feel like you're above, you're ahead of the game. Um, right. But yeah. But as far as opposition, I would just say it's kind of like yeah, it's just your faith is your faith. Leave me alone. But the minute you kind of start pushing any kind of concept of heaven or hell, or um, you know an expectation of morality. Um, there's a real like gloss over the eyes. What are you talking about? You know, I would say mm. and just, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly degrees of opposition, right? You don't have, we're not, you know, we're not facing opposition like they are at the church in Afghanistan right now. And we don't have people threatening to, to remove, virgin women from your church and, you know, make them their slaves. I mean, that's like, it's legitimately a, like really sad and depressing thing to think about the, the church and it's in the worst areas of the world, the worst parts of the world. And yet it's really inspiring as well. When you hear pastors in those regions saying, I'm saying that the church needs me, right? God has called me to this. And, and I think, there's a definitely at a lower level, the same kind of frustration with opposition in more liberal areas uh, that are coming against the church. And, you know, so California is one of those. I mean, the, the idea that people are leaving the state has been quite like, I think a lot of you hear a lot of conservative voices, especially political voices that are saying the exodus is real. California exodus is happening a ton of people are, are fleeing, all the wealthy people are leaving, and it's going to destroy the economy in California. Well, that's not really reality. I mean, it's it's it, there's not that many people fleeing to where it's just going to collapse overnight. It, but it is true that there's a trickle of people leaving. I mean, out of a, a state of 40 million, we're not losing a ton, but we might be losing an average of, say, 200,000 residents a year compared to how many people are coming in to how many people are leaving.
a population, population might be might growing, be growing. But that exodus is taking place where you have people coming, you have more people leaving the state than are, than are coming in. And here's the big difference is that people, most of the people coming in are coming from states like New York. They're coming from blue states. And most of the people leaving are leaving to places like Texas, Idaho, Tennessee, Florida, they're red states. So they're, so the, the divide is is widening among conservatives and progressives in states like California. So it feels like you're in a losing battle, right? In a hopeless situation uh, where you'll never, you'll never see politicians kind of on your side in this state, at least not at the state level. That's why I said we can focus locally, right? We, we don't have to have a governor who, who is, you know, in favor of of uh, the mission of the church, we can we can have local mayors who support that, yeah. right? I mean, you that's know, a bigger deal to me. What's really kind of interesting about that? They actually did a survey. Um, our leftist friends actually are a lot less passionate about local politics. They're much more much more concerned about national politics than they are about local politics. This actually could be a really wonderful opportunity if Christians actually knew that or conservatives even knew that as well. If more right. conservatives actually got really riled up, you know, and took it, not as I take advantage, but like, you know, um, saw that as a wonderful opportunity to localize their local governments. And, you know, it, it, it could be a really great way to um, shine and influence. I will say one thing that has, I, I think that has really hurt the evangelical church. I'm going to go on a little tangent here is our concept yeah. of even missions, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always, I, I used to work as, I mean, as a missions intern. So, I mean, I, I worked as a, you know, so I'm not going to, but I started reading a lot of the new Testament. And um, when I was really focusing on that, when you read the actual new Testament, there's very little, about going out with outside the great commission on Matthew chapter 28, there's almost very few, if not maybe one verse in the whole, in all the epistles that tell us that we need to go out and um, spread the good news to all these like far, far regions. Hmm. Matthew 28. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's, but when you read the actual letters, Peter, the first Peter, second Peter, book of James, first, first Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus—all of those books I just mentioned—I think there's not one command. Philippians to go out outside their own own regions. There's not one command. They're, they're, what Paul and Peter and James and even Jude—what they're saying to all of those people is to stay put, love your wife, be be gentle with your tongue, love your kids, don't exasperate them. It's the local community, mm-hmm. and that's how the light of Christ shines. I think one of the things that's likely, I think even probably even hurt our own witness, even if we could just talk about evangelicals, is that we are so outward focused. We're, we're very similar to our leftist friends that it's like we almost get worried if like the big the big guy on top is not, quote, on our side. Mm-hmm. OK, so the big guy on, t- on top is not on our side. But have you looked around you? Are you looking in your local community and are you taking advantage of that? Because we in Christian, we, we as Christians really should be about the here the now and the faith, you know, of integrating all of that. And, and how do I make my faith present in my, in my local community 
that God has truly placed me in and to really focus on what I can control in the place where God has sovereignly placed me. And I feel like when I focus in on that so much more, rather than just focusing on all of the stuff that's going out there, 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 I feel more empowered and I feel I could not feel, but I could see so many more opportunities. Um, but I wonder that, and I know that's a lot, but I wonder like even our own understanding of missions sometimes, I know it's a huge topic, but I know a lot of Christians, they often have this view like our leftist friends that we get very, very discouraged if the big, big people up on top are somehow not on our side, ignoring the fact that you could do a significant amount. You can have a lot of influence just in your local community that I think we should use for as a wonderful opportunity. I don't know if you want yeah. to that. No, I, that's a great point. Obviously, I think that's that's what I was what I'm arguing for is that is that the church needs to prioritize their local ministries. I think I, and missions is something that that you know a lot of churches do um, and have done and 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 some do it well, but I think a lot of churches do it really badly. And um, the idea of sitting you know a bunch of high school students on a short term. Uh, mission trip for one week to do VBS in another country. Uh, it's almost never making a, a significant impact in the community that they go to. Uh, it, it's a, it's a almost like bringing in a, a carnival for a week and then leaving. Uh, you, you just sort of, you leave the community in the state that it was found in. Um, you get, you rile up a bunch of interest for a week because everyone wants to come and, and get, free candy and, and whatever uh, goodies, but, but then they end up leaving and going back to normal afterwards. Um, I do think there are missionaries that can benefit from short-term trips. I think they have to be heavily involved in planning it, not the, not the church that's sending people. Um, so if a local missionary says, Hey, we, we have a project we, we could just use extra hands with, like, then that's something great to go and, and support. But I think the vast majority of short-term trips have been done poorly and uh, they're much more about just maybe giving an experience to the person going. And often, often unfortunately, unfortunately, oftentimes it's a superficial experience. You know, it, it doesn't yeah. last. And I, I think one of the benefits of just living here, I will say this because I teach, you know, at a local school and I would love to hear from you too. I mean, just being a therapist, I will say this. I've had wonderful opportunities. I think that um, I would never have had if I were in a quote Christian culture. Um, uh, on the trans issue, for example, I've often talked to a lot of clients who aren't even Christians, um, talk to them about, it's actually very, very beneficial if you wait, um, through our program and Jeffrey Barrows, for example, you know, in our, yeah. you know, that, that, that's actually been a really wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Um, my, my ability to, or the opportunity to be able to teach at a little local college where most of the students actually haven't maybe heard a particular worldview, um, whether it's Christian or in some cases just teaching the actual psychology. We, we had Val Thomas on a few weeks ago. I know I was interviewing her. Even that is being totally taken over on a political agenda. And as a Christian, mm -hmm. you can use just facts that are God ordained and that's knowledgeable because God is the author of truth and teaching truth, you know, it's a really wonderful opportunity. So it's, and also I think just by the sake of encouragement, we don't know um, how, you know, it's so re rewarding being in a place 
and to have a, have a student or have a friend or have a colleague or a client come to you and say, I've been so discouraged for so many years and thank you for, you know, saying this, that I never saw it that way. It's not praising yourself. It's more like, oh my gosh, that's so, that's, that's so wonderful. Like, and it's, it's over things. It's so funny. It's like over things that you and I would have totally take, like seen as just common information and yet being able to share that with people and then right afterward, just really encouraging you. I, it's, it's so rewarding. Anyway, I don't know if you have had that. I mean, if you had that in California where people have, you know, just, wow, I've never seen it that way. Thank you. <laughs> like, and it's just, and it's over something that you and I would just consider very small. I mean, I don't know if you've gotten, you've had that opportunity as well. Or, uh, you know. uh, I mean, we're getting, yeah, we get feedback. Are you talking about the show or just in general being someone who, who sort of is on the cutting edge of some of the direction yeah, the nation's going? Yeah, I was curious if you, yeah, just, just more like if you've, um, yeah, spoken to anybody afterward that's all like it um not, it. not over our show but over like over like your sermon or yeah right. people in the public or anything yeah. i don't know i don't think i have a whole lot of people that that uh follow my sermons outside of the church which i'm fine with um you know like it's it's there on the website for folks to uh catch catch the sermon when they when they miss on a sunday or something so i don't get a ton of feedback outside of that although i have heard from folks friends from you know mississippi uh, that I may, made over the time that I was there, both on the sh on the podcast and r related to sermons. Um, you know, I've gotten feedback from time to time that say they're just thankful for the ministry um, and for the encouragement that that I'm giving. Um, but honestly, this was more like this particular it was a little bit out of the box for me. This line of of you know teaching, I guess, because I I'm usually much more subtle, I think. And, and I don't want to ruffle feathers. I kind of want to just, oh, everyone's got their own way of doing things. Let's just let them do their own way. And, and I was really pushing, right? I was really saying, no, I want people to get behind this ministry. I want people to support this ministry and to recognize that you're going to probably have to make sacrifices to do it and that you're going to, it's going to be costly and you might not be able to, you know, uh, move if you wanted to move or whatever, like this is going to be a, a, a sacrifice that you have to make. And I think some people will feel that and, and they'll, right. It'll stir them up and encourage them to stay. Um, those who maybe have been on the sidelines and haven't really just been checking out, maybe it stirs them up to get involved more actively in the ministries that we do. Um, or, uh, it might even cause a few people who are looking to move, who are looking to leave and to kind of have a different uh, experience in a, a place that's more hospitable to their faith, um, maybe it'll encourage them to stick it out a little bit longer and to, and to stay. And God can can use that. I think for me, it was it was um, it was sort of like I'm not just going to lay down and let. I mean, there are more and more people talking about leaving. Um, it's it's a it's a much more common conversation I'm having among conservatives and you know conservative, conservative believers. believers. And, and maybe we should talk about that because I just listened to Ben Shapiro and he believes that you should. And his justification yeah. is, and this is his justification. I mean, if we could talk about that, is I don't know if you wanted to finish your point though. Don't let me interrupt. I don't know. If no, you know. 
Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, yeah. I'll well, finish um, my point in a minute. Yeah, because I mean, I, what his and it's a pretty good argument. I mean, his is like it's a lost cause. He, um, I listened to the yeah, and and it it, it certainly looks that way right now. And what you <laughs> could do if you're a conservative is that you could turn purple states into red states if you're a conservative, you know. And that's his justification, which is not a bad justification, especially when you look at places like Texas that are getting both liberals and conservatives. Um, Got it. That, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm trying not to turn this podcast into like the platform of the Republican party. So I'm trying to anyway, but yeah, so he, his justification is that you can, you can go to a place like North Carolina, which is my home state. It's, it's yeah. like purple red and they definitely need, more conservatives to come in to make it a quote safe state because it's if in the next 10 years if it's they're not careful they're going to turn into virginia which was purple five years ago but now it's it's pretty it's pretty blue and it's like looks like it's gonna solidly stay blue for a while you know because of these the dc baltimore area and so i think his justification is yeah get out of california's lost cause why that why the heck are we here you know, it's already it, the temple's already burned down. You know? Right. It just maybe it's time to to move. You know, and is there a time for that? Is there a time to to know when it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm. Yeah, this is just not working. You know, and it's just yeah. like this is really. And w- when do you think Christians, like, yeah, that's a well, like that that's a pretty interesting argument. But it is. And and I, it makes sense for someone like Ben Shapiro to make that argument. Right. I mean, his he's devoting his his career to increasing the, the platform of conservatives. And 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 I I do like a lot of what Ben Shapiro says, but I think the church's mission is different. And if you're a Christian and I think you're called to to be involved wherever you are. And one of those ways is to get locally involved. I mean, we, we talked to, you know, Carmen Schober about the idea of going to, to school board meetings and having an impact there regarding the education that your, your children are getting, especially as they're analyzing various, you know, uh, critical race theory curriculums to, to begin implementing. Um, you know, that, that's an idea that locally you can have an impact on. And it, and it is being, a, it is effective. Right, uh, boards are are getting overturned, or their plans are getting uh, uh, canceled and overridden. Their budgets are being changed because of the pe- people that are attending those meetings and raising alarm. Um, I would say that that if everyone, if the, I mean, the church is going to be here. The church is not. It's the plans of the enemies of the church will not prevail against against. Yeah. In church, so and, we can yeah. stay here and we can fight, right? Well, I also want to, I want to, you know, and if we could, um, you know, talk about the power of the minority, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, let's see how, how did the, how did the LGBT community, whatever you want, you know, become so powerful? Right. They were a tiny little weensy minority even 10 years ago. I was just talking to my wife, just like, I mean, I remember being on cases. Nobody would have heard about a seven-year-old transitioning. Even like yeah. really, really very liberal clinicians would have been like, no, that's wrong. And the vast majority of clinicians now are saying, hey, if you don't give the kid hormones, you're not supporting them. What has happened in seven years? And it's been the power of the minority. Nassim Tlaib talks about that in his in book. You know, I think I don't think it's the yeah, I believe it's the black swan. I think it's maybe something else. 
But hmm. a lot of people make the assumption that in order to turn a whole group, you have to be the majority. It's not. You have to be a very solid base minority that is very well put together. And yeah. that's what the church is lacking at this time, especially over like race issues and over a lot of diversions that we're getting in. Yeah. And that's what you won't see from the hardcore left, which is incredible tactically, but it's it, it's a witness to us that we need to do that. Not that we're borrowing their, you know, tactics as much as we, we do need each other. And the, yeah. the, the fallacy I think we often run into as Christians is, oh, we're not in the majority and therefore we're losing ground. No, that the it needs to be how solid is my minority? How solid is my group? It, you know, in a good way. How solid is my church, my local church, my local community? Are we unified? And if you are, man, you could do a lot. You could do a whole lot. Mm. And um, but for some reason we we don't believe that, or at least you know, we 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 like our yeah yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because the idea of the kind of a lost cause and a minority position um, was where I, you know, I, I took that sermon with an, I used an illustration from the gates of fire. Um, I don't know if you've read Stephen Pressfield, the gates of fire, but it's a, it's sort of a fictionalized re novel retelling the story of the battle of Thermopylae. So the Spartans, oh, right. you know, the Persians against this coalition of Greek states um, which was led by the Spartan king, Leonidas. And he he has some incredible speeches rallying uh, troops. But in the end, his you know, the, he recognizes that their, their group of 7,000 soldiers is not going to do much against 100 to potentially 300,000 um, Persian soldiers, right? Like they were vastly outnumbered. And, and yet because of a love for their land and their people, they, they fought, but they, they strategized, right? They recognized that they would need to, they dismissed anyone, any soldier who had, who didn't have kids, they dismissed them. So he only allowed people to stay who, who basically had a legacy to, to live on after them. And, and they, um, and they, he, he dismissed something like, uh, 5,000 soldiers, I, no, all but 300 Spartans and like 700 um, thespian soldiers. So he had about 1,000. And then another 1,400 ended up volunteering to stay as well. So they had about 2,300 20, soldiers. 400 of them ultimately did surrender. The rest of them fought to their death in this little area so like this three, little, like, yeah like 300 like the 300 spartans that the 300 spartans were the heart of that that group oh, uh, but it was oh, it was okay. beyond that it was about 2000 total oh, that ended up yeah uh, fighting to their death and so but the 300 spartans were the were the most kind of trained and heroic um of the group but regardless the point was that they were they were vastly outnumbered they defended them themselves not because they thought they could win they recognized it was a lost cause in a sense, but they fought because they knew that by delaying the, the Persian invasion, that the other states would have more time to prepare, that the other states would be able to strategize and, and, and respond differently to you know, what was happening. And in the end, they did take out about 20,000 Persian soldiers. So it was 
you know, 2000 against at the low estimate, about a hundred thousand, mm. anywhere up to 300,000. And, and they, and they took out 20. So it was 10 to, I mean, they killed 10 soldiers on average for everyone who, who died on the battlefield. It's a, and of course, who do we, who do we hold up as the bold and brave, you know, um, example to us today? It's, it's the Spartans. Like they, they're, they're mm-hmm. an inspiring, it's an inspiring story. And so we do, leaders should be encouraging people to, to, you know, to, to rise up, uh, to rebuild their community, to do things mm-hmm. locally. A lot of that is the theme of Nehemiah. Yeah. I think it should be the theme of the churches um, everywhere, but especially in regions where there's hostility and opposition. So maybe as we end, because I like that, because I, I would like to, yeah. you know, I would like, this is a good um, a word of encouragement. We want Christians to stay here to, because we are trying to basically hold the sway of the yeah. influx of chaos that's likely coming our way. And yeah. that's why we need to stay here, you know, because um, it's going to get bad. But if we can stay and be unified with our local church, with our local community, maybe we could we could stay the hand of whatever you know these these new cultural trends that are very that are very hostile to our faith. You know, I do think persecution's coming. It already is. Um, I do think a day is going to come. You know, um, if I can be prophetic here, tap into my little charismatic part that I have that I do hundred percent believe that a day is going to come that if you don't support um, your kid's pronoun, DCF is going to have the authority to come in and take your child away. I already see that happening. Mm. I, I, I predict a day that if you, um, you know, don't um, adhere to uh, like principles that are in critical race theory, especially at your local college that you're going to get, you're going to get kicked out of that school. Um, there are so many other things I could, I could think of that you're going to be seen as a bigot, as, as a homophobe, as a transphobe, whatnot. If you don't adhere to some of these doctrines that have really no way to, to, um, to self-correct. And if we don't stay the tide, at least temporarily, the tide's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we need to stay here because it's mm. it's gonna it's gonna get bad. I do believe that before they get before they get better, <laughs> you know. And it's I'm not looking forward to it, but I've I've accepted that because I've accepted I've kind of accepted that I'm probably we're not probably gonna win. The, you know that we don't know how much longer, at least in the world, obviously in the worldly sense. And I think it's it's good that Christians kind of accept that, like we're not winning against yet. You know, but there will be a day we will Christ will reign. But mm-hmm. like we have to put our lives on the line in some in some capacity. So we so we need to stay. And I would say wherever you are, wherever you are, or if you are in a town in Mississippi, we want you to stay. You know, don't don't think that we're looking at you like you know you're not as nearly as you know bad as we are. I mean, I think you, you we all have to carry our cross in wherever we are. But you know. Yeah. Yeah. This is more of a call to to sway those who who want to flee or leave sure. this. Thing. Yeah, we're and, kind of talking to people that yeah <laughs> want to just a, leave. And there's, yeah, and there's justification, obviously, uh, that can be made for it. But I just mm. I think that if there is no one here in the heart of 
kind of the opposition or the hostility, then who do you have left to to put up that stand to fight? And and I think that is going to have an impact long term. I mean, we're looking at this, the Supreme Court is going to hear a case, thanks to Mississippi, in fact, because Mississippi is bringing a case uh, that they're going to hear arguments on December 1st. Uh, that could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. It's it is massive, yeah. and we thank, need to be praying you, about Mississippi. this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we need to be praying about this mm. this opportunity that that our nation has to to return the the rights to the state. And of course, that's not going to change our position at all in California. But and you have you know similar things happening. Like uh, some a lot of these states are just going to stay the same based on the the results of this, but it's going to return state rights. And, and, and I think it will ultimately have a significant impact on the number of abortions that are legalized in America. Uh, and I think when you have someone in the heart of opposition, like when you have an, uh, people facing trials and, and, and uh, persecution, it adds to the to the stories that are shared nationwide or even around the globe that that can bolster the the church community and so what i what i mean is for instance when someone is threatened jail time because they decide to meet during covid right because they decide to gather and hold a worship service and they're threatened jail time that stirs up the community, the tr- Christian community nationwide. That what was happening in Canada absolutely had an impact upon the church in America, right? And we were encouraged by the boldness that some had. And obviously, some people went too far, I think, and people got you know, other other pastors were even uh, or Christians were chastising um, people for for making the decisions they made and saying that they were threatening the lives of their congregation, but. Look, you're not. Uh, those people were not leading a congregation of of um, of folks who didn't want to meet. <laughs> they wouldn't have been pressing so hard to meet if the people didn't want to meet. Yeah, right. I love that. So, so all that to say, to say, like we we need people everywhere to yeah. be to be doing what they're called to do, and and recognizing that it's going to to have an impact upon the the broader church community. And um, I mean, I, I could see I could see something happening in California to the Christian church, you know, a decade before it happens in another state. And that only allows them just like, you know, the the strategy at the Battle of Thermopylae. There was this idea to use that to, um, you know, to, uh, to give more time to prepare for how they might respond to the same kind of opposition. So anyways, yeah. I appreciate this time that we've had to talk about it. Thank you for... <laughs> I meant to write that in the private chat, not in the private. <laughs> That's all right. You left a comment for everyone to <laughs> right. see. We need yeah. to wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. I do have to run. I have to go to my Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. So uh, yeah, so I've been doing well, that. Priorities, man. I have to yeah. protect myself from the crazy piece. Anyway, no, I'm just joking. Thank you, Brad. Defend yourself and your family. Yeah. Should we? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Maybe talk about a book, book review. I'm just, yeah. Is this good to chat? And then after that, maybe we could also talk about some guests as well. So some guests. That sounds good. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for for listening to sound engagement. This is your, should we do our accent? This is your host, uh, Peter from Boston. 
and go go socks we just beat the rays and um <laughs> which is actually awesome actually i think we might win the world series oh um, yeah it's a bit optimistic yeah we're getting destroyed all right the dodgers yeah. are still there <laughs> we got it okay i'll see you man. all right talk all right. later thanks all right bye